is to connect with customers and mo more than ever before. But how do we define our key customers? Is it simply someone who's bringing in the share of revenue? Is it someone who's making us more profitable? Is it the customer lifetime value, the level of partnership we are having, the product feedback we are getting, and the referrals they are making? Maybe all of the above. At some point, every company leader looks at their best clients and then they see, okay, how bad it would be to lose one of these accounts and how do we protect these relationships with these customers? With that, the, we have experts and uh, we have um, experts from Lean Data today. And what struck me first is this diversity of experience from this team here. We have Alex who directs Lean Data customer support team and uh, to, he runs the daily operations and he has scaled the team from one person to multiple people and still is scaling. And he runs the technical support organization and does escalation. So it's wonderful to have you here today, Alex. Thank you, excited to be here. Um, next is Ravi. Ravi is running the CX and the customer success and the technical support teams. And Ravi comes in from very strong operations background. He has 25 years of experience from uh, 19 years of it is from TIPCO and uh, growing the customer base there and looking into revenue as part of support. So Ravi, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Rachel um, is the chief customer support, chief customer officer of Lean Data. She is very passionate to lead customer and employee experience and substantiates that with big data and data at the edge. What fascinated to me talking to Rachel was her um, experience with clients all across B2B, B2C, uh, staple goods, retail, tech, fashion, finance. So that was pretty interesting, Rachel. And uh, she measures her CX team success on how they deliver great customer experiences and importantly, net revenue retention like any other SaaS company. Rachel, it's wonderful to have you today. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here, Kay. Yeah. Um, so it would be great to from, hear from all three of you on your, uh, why are we here and how you say and your experience and how it matters to these strategic uh, customers and having the most difficult um, 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 scenarios or handling these most difficult scenarios with strategic customers. Rachel, let's start with you. Sure. No, I, I think um, just so the audience knows my role and perspective, I do lead the entire post-sale team at Lean Data, which includes our support and services organizations. Uh, and I think as we think about how we set up to manage these difficult situations is um, we, we try to anticipate what are going to be the challenges you might see with key customers. I think we have uh, sort of set up and worked back from what is the kind of experience we're going to need to deliver and what are going to be the areas which we anticipate that they're going to, um, you know, come to us. I, did we lose you, Kay? Sorry. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I was told that I have to stop my camera to start live streaming. So I'm trying to figure out what it is. So please continue. Okay. No, sorry about that. I thought maybe we dropped. No, um, no, no. Yeah. So I think just from my, my seat, it's, you know, how do we set up and sort of anticipate ahead of time what we're going to need in terms of those situations? And I think just from a CCO perspective, there's two things that we think about sort of fundamentally. Um, one is when we think key customers, we uh, we definitely think about them in a multifaceted way, as you said in your in introduction. It is, it is, of course, the a you know, the amount of revenue to bring in for the co company, obviously we want to protect that revenue, but there's also the potential revenue that they have. So what's the overall customer lifetime value and potential of those customers? So there's always the business side of it. Um, but I think we also think about those key customers from a market segment perspective, and that might be more behavioral or uh, more of how we serve, can we meet their needs, right? Are we, uh, how do we think about their their business or their business model and are, do they best represent, you know, the best fit customer. So I think it's not just dollars, but we're also thinking about how we make sure we're set up to serve 
the sort of the key market or ICP that we go after. Um, and you had to design that experience. And we know at Lean Data that our, our software is very flexible in terms of your ability to set it up to meet your business needs. So it's very configurable. We align to the customer's business process, help them set up their business rules. So we have to have a support team that can go in and really understand that customer context. So I think it's super important uh, to really think about, you know, what are you going to, who are you serving and how do you set up your support team to work back from, to serve those individuals? In our case, it's operations professionals who are setting up automation uh, in their sales force and that Alex and team really have to be able to go in and understand what are they trying to do? So I think as you think about key customers, it's also thinking about how we break down and understand how we serve them. So as a CCO, I, I'd like to think about the more behavioral and business needs we meet, not just the ARR dollars. That makes sense, Kay. So Absolutely, it does. And I love that you touched upon the market segments because um, early on in Lean Data is also a, um, a smaller company. Um, you tend to not have the market segments very cleanly defined and you end up having people who are in the fringes who join in uh, and they become key. Uh, they become key customers, even though they don't fit in into some of those. So I, I think as we move through this conversation, it will be great to know how the people are the customers who are in the fringes of the market segment and how to deal with them, keep them happy, even though the core product is growing deeper into a segment. I think that would be wonderful for our SaaS audience also here. And I think that's a good point. And I do want to raise, you have to identify, are they fringe or are they your next step in your market evolution? Because it might be, hey, you always attract those early adopters, those innovators. Are you starting to see more of that late majority who needs a different kind of help? They're not just the, hey, I'm a DIY. I just need a little bit of help from the support team. Not just technical issues, but just support and questions, right? Um, to, hey, are we starting to see more of the do it with me, do it for me kind of audience? And is that an indicator that we're starting to grow the company? So I think that's a really good point. Okay, but it can be an indicator, not a fringe, but maybe of a new market opportunity opening up as we start to, you know, branch out. Yeah. So how, uh, Ravi, in this particular case, with respect to bringing in these market segments or going deeper into a few market segments, how do you manage the product feedback that comes in from the um, um, CS team, the, from the customer success team? So what we do is we basically are closely tied with our engineering team. Uh, we have to work. I mean, let me take a step back. So B2B software support has evolved over the last course of years, right? So it, you have to be very closely working with your product, product and engineering teams, as well as within the support. I mean, those days are gone where you have tiered support, where you have level one, level two, level three. I mean, you you have to basically respond very quickly and make sure that we're listening to customers and taking their feedback and pushing it into our product team so that they can prioritize in terms of how they do a roadmap, which is what we do. So when a customer logs a ticket, if it happens to be we hear that there's new features, new enhancements, we're constantly working with our product team, uh, meeting with them regularly, feeding them information from what we're hearing from customers into how to make that into the product roadmap. We're constantly working on that. So it's a tight connection between product support and engineering. It's, it's not, you know, we have to kind of move away from the fact that support is labeled as a help desk. We are very closely tied with the product support, product team. And that's how we basically make sure that the feedback from customers are heard back into the product. And, you know, hopefully we can influence it to make it into the roadmap. I mean, the product is always challenged between what to put in a roadmap. So I just want to recognize that that's always a challenge. But at the same time, you know, they are, they look at us at this point as being the voice of customers. So that's, that's basically how we use it. It's uh, um, the voice of the customer um, angle to this is very interesting. And I want to tie this into escalations here, um, Alex. So most of the SaaS companies um, uh, uh, the product is evolving so fast. And in a growing SaaS company, the product is evolving so fast. So the what you're touching upon is one of the things we do very, very well at Ascendo is bringing out the voice of the customer to be able to interface with the product team. 
But like you said, there are times you can't do everything, you, even though it becomes one of the most, you know, you look at the top two or three and you look into what is the next uh, evolution of the product and how it fits in and do it. So there are going to be escalations that there is a customer who's going to, a key customer who may want, who may want a particular feature or a particular thing within the product and it gets escalated. And you know that we cannot satisfy it. How would you deal with a situation? How do you deal with a situation like that? Well, I think it's a few things. First, you have to take some time to really understand the business use case for why the customer is requesting that feature and that functionality. Um, Once you can best understand what exactly they're trying to accomplish, even if you can't accommodate it in the immediate future, you can at least get an understanding of what they want to do and then start to think, okay, what workarounds do we have available in our product today that we could get them the same end results, maybe not through the same medium? Um, So it's a few things. It's understanding the business use case. And then one, if you can't accommodate it right away, ensuring that the customer has a short-term workaround to get them what they need in the short term, right? And then from there, it becomes communicating internally. Like Robbie said, uh, the support team at Lean Data is very close-knit with our dev team and our product team. So depending on what we hear from the customer, if we're not able to accommodate a certain use case, we file a product feature request, and then we sync up with our dev and product team to discuss the request and get a timeline on if it can be built out or not. And if it can, how soon can the customer expect that? And that's all a multifaceted process that we carry out on the daily, but it all feeds back into our product and um, dev team. And the importance to make sure that the customer understands the steps that you're taking to address their request in the short term and the long term. So it's okay if it gets escalated, as long as you follow those patterns and keep those thoughts in mind to clearly convey the steps that you're taking and the actions that are going to be done to address the request. Be honest, right? Be honest with them saying, Uh hey, this is the timeline. This is what it is. Here's the reason why we are doing what we are doing. But we want to work with you to give you a uh, short-term workaround. And uh, so you can continue doing the business while we um, prioritize this and get this going. It brings up, a, I, I, I think it would be great to hear a story from a large customer because these things escalate so fast. Rachel, can you give us a story um, and, um, of how things get escalated so fast and how that can be dealt with very um, um, seamlessly? Seamlessly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have to give a shout out to our product team and our team overall. I do not get a lot of escalations. I do not spend a lot of time dealing with irate customers it does not get to me very often so i that's a shout out to this team here and actually um i have to face every experiences which we did discuss before um uh, this live we did discuss the experiences that you're sharing does not have to come in from just from lean data coming from any of your previous experiences so uh, with that preface yeah please continue yeah no no fair enough uh no i think um you know, I think that one of the there's two two things that we really focus on here, which is let's let's figure out the speed. Let's get to a speed of response. So really, if we if a customer expresses an issue, let's let's get to them right away with, a, you know, let them know that we hear them, let them know that we're on it. The second is what is that type of response or accuracy? And I think Alex and team and Ravi do a really great job when we have a customer where we can see that the issue is going to fundamentally impact their business. Uh, making sure that to escalate it more from the perspective to me so that the client knows that this is getting the top attention of our organization because it's critical to them. As Alex said, he's very good at listening. Is this something that is going to impact their ability to run their go-to-market process, right? We, we help our clients with one of our use cases is lead management. If your leads aren't getting to the sales team, the sales team isn't selling, that's pretty significant. We don't have the luxury of letting that sit for days, so letting the customer know we're on it, letting them know that it's been escalated to senior leadership is super important for them knowing that we're on it and that we care. Like that's, you know, one of the things that I learned, Kay, when I worked at Cisco is we did analysis of our support process and we learned that getting the 
you know, the quick response and getting to the right people so that the customer know they're getting taken care of was more critical to retention than the time it took to solve the problem. So that's so critical. Uh, so an example where I will give one from uh, at the beginning of COVID when there were certain uh, of our customers that saw huge influx of leads into their business as a result of COVID, right? We had the other extreme where companies just halted entirely. Um, They came to us saying, we have a crisis, like we need your help to manage, you know, this manage our crisis in, in the business and to be able to help people get through this and navigate through I thought that was a really great example of our team really needing to rally as a company. And, and at, Lean, at Lean Data, it's a team sport um, support. It's definitely a team sport. Um, escalated to me, to our senior leadership team to say, how do we help really evolve um, and address the needs of this cohort of customers that really need us to help manage their business? Uh, and, and that was, uh, you know, bringing together both the engineering teams, the support team, CSM, to say, how do we understand this new business needs? How do we help them? And then we rallied to make those changes for that cohort of customers within, within weeks. So that's where you can make, if it gets escalated to me uh, and the leadership team, we can make some strategic decisions to invest to solve those problems in the short term with those big clients, because they're super critical to us. And if we can help them pivot quickly... Uh, that might be kind of an outlying use case, but I think the the, the point really to be taken, if you're fundamentally, uh, if you're fundamental to that customer and their success and they need you to address an issue in order to move forward, you know, you will, you will get gain long-term brand loyalty if you rally and fix that problem and ensure you're there with them. Like that trust, that transparency, that partnership. Um, and I think we have won those customers for life because they knew we were there when they needed us. Yeah, it's actually not so much of an outlier, so to speak, right? It's it's uh, um, COVID made things very interesting for a lot of people. So um, we had a lot of, uh, interestingly, B two C people are spending more times in homes. So we had uh, we ended up with smart home, um, quite a bit of B two C customers because people were who had their support um, uh, tickets overflowing, they came to us and they were like, I'm desperate. I can't manage our backlog. We are at a point where we, can, we can't even respond back to them in a timely fashion. So you are uh, right on. The, it, uh, it brings out, um, you bring out the trust and you bring out the partnership and you put that up front. Um, there is a question that come, came in the social media channel regarding to this topic. So instead of bringing it at the end, I'm going to bring it, the, bring it now. How do you identify a um, broader customer uh, requirement versus a one-off requirement? Any one of you? I, I, I can take that. So I think when you, so just, just to make sure that I am, I'm understanding the question correctly, when when bunch when a lot of customers are reporting the same type of issues, I'm I'm just putting it in a tactical way. How do you kind of say, hey, there's a bigger problem going on? I think that's the intent or the context of this question. And I think it has to do with, you know, if we it's just basically monitoring the tickets and kind of not tickets is the wrong word, but if we're getting the same kind of request from each customer, right? Then there's a broader issue where you know it's having. So for example, I'll go back to what Rachel was saying. During the COVID time, we had a few customers that basically came back and said, hey, we have a large influx of leads that are coming through. We need your help. She just mentioned that, right? We had some boom customers that came back. What that actually showed is a a basic product enhancement that we needed to make in the product. And so what we did is our CTO basically went back and adjusted the system so that we can you know, open up the pipe, if you will, and improve the overall throughput. So it actually gave us an opportunity to look at, because there was not only one customer, there were a few boom customers that were coming to us and saying, we need the larger scale, we need to scale our products, we need to make sure that we're able to meet our SLAs. And so we brought up, so kind of coming back to that is, when we see things like that, it's basically, again, partnering with our product team and making sure our product team is aware that saying, hey, we're hearing all this stuff coming from that, all hands on deck and looking at it from a product standpoint and looking at it and saying, okay, we have a broader problem that we can solve by fixing this. 
that's how we address it. I think it's just, again, it comes back to collaboration with engineering and making sure that your engineering team, it's not one off. I think one of the things that we're getting, Alex and I are working towards is having a regular meeting with engineering to basically show them the trends of what we're seeing in support, what kind of tickets we're getting, what types of tickets we're getting, why are we getting those tickets? I think doing that on a proactive manner will bring up some of these things and will help um, you know, will help make your products better. I hope I answered that question for you. Yeah, definitely. Be, you know, a lot of the times with LinkedIn and some of these questions, you don't know the full context behind yes. the question, but um, it ties in back into the voice of the customer thing that we talked about before, right? So having yeah. that continuous dialogue and one of the things um, um, that we see our customers do is since we automatically populate here are the top trends of issues that are happening, top root causes of issues happening, you actually substantiate this with data. That's the one that we That's were right. talking about, Rachel, in how you are leading with data to say you have we have this many interactions across Slack and email and WhatsApp and uh, um, AI bot and everything that are bubbling up to bring out there are the topics that we need to focus on from a product perspective. And here are the root causes for which it's happening. Some of it would become bugs. Some of it would become enhancements. Some of it. So, yeah. um, so it goes back into having that pulse of the voice of the customer. Yeah. And, and I think with B2B, if I can just add one more thing Please. with SaaS software, actually it's a, it's a boon for us it, it, rather than a curse because as a software vendor, we basically can, you know, um, add more metrics and more logging and things like that. We have a lot more insight into what the customer is doing than, you know, I've been on the on-prem side where customers would install and you have zero idea of what they're doing and no idea at all. With SaaS, you're actually able to do put metrics to your point with products like yourselves and things like that. You can actually add additional metrics to be able to show if you're seeing commonality and common trends. So to your point. Uh, I think now is a good time, you know, to shift from the product to the metric side. Yeah. Um, um, so Rachel, if, uh, you know, for any CCO who wants to lead their entire sales and support and uh, revenue operations and support operations teams based on data, what are the top metrics you know, we can start with three um, top, uh, 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 but we, and we can um, drill deep dive down. And I'm sure that answer is going to be different um, um, at different stages. So Ravi and Alex, we would love to get that input from you. But Rachel, let's start with you. Yeah, I think at the at the top, there's really three things to look at. Um, one, we always sort of look at. We do a CSAT survey for our support. Um, how are customers feeling about the experience is super important. We can also look at uh, our G2 reviews and the fact that we get highlighted for support being a differentiator at lean data. So one is, you know, how does the customer feel about the experience they feel are being supported? Um, then the other is the practical side of the business. Are we seeing a, you know, can we see a relationship between support issues and retention? Um, so we do look at churn. We do say, is churn a result of not dealing with issues or are there other, you know, or is it feature gaps or so we monitor that because we want to make sure that these issues aren't resulting in the customer leaving that we know we're going to have issues, right? We, we, oh, it's software. Stuff's going to happen. We integrate with a bunch of different platforms. Um, the customer knows stuff's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, we hope we, we weather through that as a partnership. So it's really important, I think, to make sure that you look at you know, the key metrics of retention. And then the, the third piece is the employees. I mean, Alex and team are amazing. There was a point where they had such, um, we kind of went through, we sort of have this great, great, uh, I want to say resignation. I think somebody called it the great reshuffling. You know, you go up and down in terms of your staffing or people decide to completely change careers or they moved. So, for, you know, Alex was down a, a couple of headcount at some point. Um, it's super important, I think, to, to say, hey, can your team have a decent workload? Um, you know, because Alex ends up working around the clock to, you know, so you, I think you also just have to look at the metrics of making sure that you're taking care of your employees. So just to recap, CSAT, um, I think you want to tie in and make sure that it's not resulting in, in churn or downsell or, you know, because that is obviously an indicator of your success and then looking at the team and their capacity. 
Yeah, um, um, the CX metrics are uh, all three are evolving, right? So the CX metrics that you talked about, CSAT, the G2 reviews, uh, now people are uh, starting to bring out um, uh, the overall sentiment um, of the customer, um, customer effort score. How long does it take for them to reach out and get the answers for what they need to get, whether it's support or customer success, right? So that portion of it, there is plenty of discussions around it. So I would love to focus on the next two that you talked about, which is the retention part and focusing on the retention and the churn and um, um, and then the employee experience part. So Ravi, I would love to uh, bring, uh, take, get your opinion on the retention part, especially around what Rachel talked about with respect to if we are measuring churn, I think that's the words you used, um, um, uh, Rachel, it's going to happen, right? So um, how, um, how uh, what is the best way to um, um, measure churn and to, um, you can take it to any level with respect to whether it is uh, goaling, um, goals that you use for customer success or training that you use for customer success or in terms of measurement would just like to get your brain dump on it. Absolutely. So churn is actually a very important part, um, you know, and churn is not always attributed to lack of support necessarily. So you really have to beat down deep in terms of what's causing your churn, right? There's several things that we churn. Now, is it, is it ease of use? The customers don't, are not using it, you know, not using the product, are not able to use the product or are, are experiencing too many difficulties, whether it's installation, customization, whatever it might be. It's just the ease of use, the bottom line, right? So there's a lever, several things that you have to look at into the churn to figure out why customers are churning. If your churn level is too high, it could mean that customers are not adapting. So your onboarding process itself is broken, meaning, you know, from, from, a, from, from a lean data side, what we're doing is we're making sure that the customer is opening up the box, so to speak, and making sure that they are using the product, right? We need to get them use the product first. And then basically it's up to my team with help of other people. It takes a village, I can tell you that. Is, is to make sure that the customers are able to actually achieve the output that they are outcomes that they basically signed up for, right? So you have to look at the onboarding too, saying, okay, onboarding is the first part you look at saying, is the, is the customer using the product? That's number one metric. Next, second is, are they using it successfully? Are they able to use this successfully? Meaning, are they able to achieve what they're doing it without you know, what's the total cost of ownership, if I may use that word, right? I mean, in terms of how much time are they have to spend with lean data? One of the feedback we get from lean data is they basically set it up and forget it. Now, there's a there's a other sides of it about the problem we have with that, but that's a different story, right? But the point is they don't have to maintain the system too much. It's It runs, it's easy to maintain. It doesn't require heavy lifting from ITs and things like that. So, you know, again, effort and ease of use is the next piece. Right. And then there are other organizational challenges that people might have that might result in churn, which we have no control. So I think one of the things that Rachel has looks at it is saying how much is avoidable and unavoidable churn. So avoidable is where we focus on because that is something we can control. Unavoidables are organizational things that are beyond our control that is going to cause churns and this we have no control over. So that's how we measure churn. So churn is a there's not one metric. I think you have to look at it. You have to slice and dice it in different ways to figure out what's really causing that churn to basically address the problem, if you will. One of the interesting, you know, um, so that of the three things you mentioned, I have follow one on, on all three. So let's uh, wrap that up. So um, one of the interesting parts that you mentioned is the effort and the outcome during the onboarding process, right? So um, uh, it's so with freemium, I, I don't know if lean data has it, but you're familiar, you've been in the industry longer. There's people who do freemium models and then um, build on top of the freemium models. So it would be wonderful to understand um, um, how the outcome is measured in even in a freemium model, right? So is it like, uh, hey, Kine, okay, you signed up for the product. What is it that you want to achieve with the product? And that's documented and that's followed through or something else. Yeah, so we don't have an official premium model necessarily, but you know, just just based on what I have seen, uh, 
the freemium model is basically making sure that you're in front of the customers, right? Because you can't, freemium model is a lot of models. So you have to invest a lot of money in it to make sure that the, the end goal of freemium model is to convert conversion, right? You want to convert those to a paying customer. And so the question is, how do we guide the customer? So once the customer downloads the product or starts using the product, what level of help can we give this customer to make sure that they're able to basically use it? And then, you know, you, you have to kind of nurture them to say, hey, are you using the product? Look at it, the back end, send them, you know, information about, hey, you're not using this product. This is something we can do. You can potentially do like a <clears throat> one-to-many web, one webinars as well to kind of onboard the customer, make sure that they're successful with it and kind of convert that premium model. So that's the extent of what I know about premium model, but it, it's a it's a very different model because you could have thousands of customers. And so you have to have a one-to-many motion to make sure that you are nurturing those customers to getting this. I mean, that's the other thing with freemium model. It's really hard to gauge what they got the, why did they start using the product? It's very difficult to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I think I should have uh, made it. It's not just from outside of freemium. Do you, how do you measure outcome? Yeah. The outcome is basically, you know, they are implemented in production and, you know, are they using their licenses? You know, they bought a certain number of licenses, right. And basically out of the gate, as soon as they implement, how many licenses are they using already and what is their plan? And you basically speak with them and kind of say, what's your plan? You know, how, how are you doing this? And are you, are you in the right trajectory? So we have an adoption metrics that we look at, right? So there's a certain number of adoption that we look for. Like the first year, we want our customers to be at 80% of their licenses, for example, right? Or we want that to be the metric. So that's how we measure it saying, you know, how are they doing in terms of what they bought? from a utilization product usage standpoint. And then you basically have a conversation with the customer and say, okay, are we, here's where you are. Are you trajecting in the right way? So it's just measuring that. Yeah. And that ties in back into the total cost of ownership also. So um, um, Rachel, if you could give a scenarios for the avoidable and the unavoidable um, examples. So even in an unavoidable, I can, you know, think about an example where, you know, maybe it was a smaller customer, um, um, but the management completely changed mm-hmm. and they don't know what the product is about. It's completely unavoidable. Um, and uh, uh, so, uh, or the need wasn't there anymore, whatever it may be, um, or, uh, because of the growth. So how any strategies on mitigating avoidable was and the unavoidable? Yeah, no, great question. And I think um, we didn't discuss this ahead of time, but you're hitting on something that, again, as we see this great reshuffling going on, that loss of that point of contact has definitely been something that's been on the rise uh, that we have to get uh, you know, ahead of. And you know, recognizing if somebody new comes in through the support team, we're going to need to jump on that, right? We need to get them educated. We need to make sure they understand the why behind their company purchased and Robbie's actually been working on a up up leveling our playbook around you know that shift when we get a new stakeholder in. So I think that is absolutely critical, and I think something that all SaaS companies kind of struggle with. And we consider that you're right to be an unavoidable. We consider there might be product feature gaps that we put into the product category that we say you know we should have been on top of this if we did lose customers. And I I tend to kind of look at it over a course of time, not quarter quarter, but let's look at over the course of the year. Oh, we had a couple of customers leave because we didn't have a certain feature. We would consider that to be maybe something that was unavoidable because we didn't sense the need for that. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, we hate to lose the competition. We feel like that should be unavoidable, quite honestly, Kay. Like, no, no, that's not, (laughs) that's not great for whatever reason. But, you know, I do, sorry. <clears throat> yes, that's uh, right. Rachel, that. thank um, you for doing yeah. this. First of all, you're just getting out of COVID. I know yeah. that. So appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry about that, audience. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm still testing positive, but I feel great. I don't know. It's probably going <laughs> to test positive for another week. But yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's super important to, to, uh, you know, to be tracking and figuring out what that looks like for your organization. Cause, um, you know, again, I think it's over time where I kind of look at those patterns and, and see what, what we might, might call as, as unavoidable. 
um, I'm, I'm pretty harsh, actually, in the way that I assess it. I pretty much only consider a merger and acquisition or they're not using Salesforce anymore. Robbie's nodding his head because he knows I'm super harsh. Like everything else, I expect we're going to be able to keep these customers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, working back from, from that, uh, you know, super important. I think, um, you know, want to want to bring up a point uh, about sort of the, the support I, I really think we're at a very interesting time when everything is so digital, right? It's digital buying experiences. People are remote. Support is really becoming a much more strategic organization. Like I think Alex is feeling it. It's becoming so much of the hub because when customers said, I have a problem, I need help, they come to the support team. It's not just a crisis of technical issues. It's, hey, I just, I, you know, I need help. And really thinking about how you you know, set up the team to be able to respond, whether that's, okay, I can see this person needs help. You know what? They're not a certified lean data user. I really need to make sure that we flag them and get them certified because we need to be able to get them upskilled. So I think we're thinking more too strategically about how do we get customers into the training, the certification, make awareness of the help center, um, and really bring that, the community together. Or, hey, we see you're trying to move to this new go-to-market model. We have another customer doing that's already done this. Do you want to talk to them? So I think really having that strategic mindset and, you know, that's, um, I think as we move forward, being able to put that front and center to the support team is something we need to think about because it requires a lot of data and analytics. And um, I know there's new capabilities out there that can help us to empower the team to put them on, you know, more of like, hey, let me help be proactive and recommend versus just troubleshoot and solve. Yeah, support has definitely become um, the center. It was interesting. I was uh, talking to a CFO of our customer and he was saying how um, gone are the days that it was a cost center. Now it's like, especially in COVID, everybody recognized we are all doing remote, but the people who are talking to the customers are the support folks. So so it has really become, and there is a lot of uh, uh, interest in harvesting the data and bringing out the patterns and helping with the employee experience. Ravi, I think you have a thought to add. I do. I just wanted to double back on what Rachel was saying. And I wanted to see, this has been a trend going on for some time where a a company is measured about how much self-service you have, right? So, you know, when a customer is evaluating your products, they also see how much knowledge is out there. So the first thing you would do is when you're evaluating the customer, this is a customer way back when telling me this saying, the first thing I did is I went to Google and I typed an error and see if I was able to find that information on my own. And so to, to Rachel's point, support is evolving. So I think the self, the whole area of knowledge base and self-help and making sure the customer is able to self-help. Customers don't want to talk to support when they're having issues. And I'm saying that in a good way. If they're able to find it on their own, they're more than happy to find it. So it's our, the challenge for us is to be able to identify what is the type of information that we need to provide to our customers in a more proactive manner, whether it's through our knowledge center or whether we are basically approaching them saying, hey, do you know you're having an issue kind of thing? So that's where the support model is evolving. And I know that's where you guys are at as well. And so that's why I'm trying to bring this up. It's a, it's interesting. That's why we call it as an interaction, right? A end you, a customer going in and looking in a website for a training or a help video or even getting an answer for a question, that's still an interaction, even though they are not talking to a human. And what can we learn from even that interaction to say, hey, uh, did we surface them the right type of knowledge? Did we do it the first time? And when they wanted that information, can we give it to them the first time? Can that piece of knowledge, should that piece of knowledge be improved? How many more customers has it served or has it not served? It all goes into that knowledge intelligence aspect. Um, and uh, um, I really wanted to touch on um, uh, employee experience, Alex, but the topic is moving towards the data aspect. So maybe we do the data aspect and then we come into the employee experience aspect. Um, it, it, it brings back to how do, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions around understanding all of these interactions and understanding the customer sentiment and bubbling that up. Could you, um, um, Rachel, could you tie that into 
how any of this can be utilized to assess business impact or severity? I'm not sure I understand the, can you? Oh, um, use, use of all of these interactions and use of the data to bring out escalations, you touched on it, right? And bring it out. So if you can relate a couple of scenarios in which it can be utilized to bring out a severity that's, you know, or an escalation that's going to happen and uh, being proactive about it, right? Yeah, I, I think we, um, when we when we do start to see a product issue, uh, we, we do have a, you know, um, a process that we can follow to flag it and to maybe identify other customers that might have that issue. And Alice can speak specifically to that, to that process, uh, to where we can monitor. Um, there's a couple of fronts this can happen. Uh, it, it usually, I think, as we think about is we roll out a lot of features. We have a lot of releases um, and we do that in waves. If we see an issue starting to happen, to be able to get in front of that, if it's something that's net new, that, that starts to impact certain customers who have certain setups um, so that's one way we, we kind of get get ahead of it. Um, yeah, in terms of that escalation. I don't know, Alex, if you want to talk a little bit about what you have in place with the with the dev team. It, uh, it ties back into the, uh, uh, t- you know, uh, the on-premise was assessed too, right? So the time to market is so fast. Yeah, um, exactly. And that brings out... So, um, Alex, if you could tie that in uh, what Rachel said and tie that into the employee experience, that would be great. I'm just being mindful of the time, even though we are trying to introduce all the social media questions <laughs> in the topic. But please, yeah. No problem. Well, as Ravi said in SaaS, it's much easier to remotely monitor what the customer is leveraging your solutions for, right? And from a support perspe- perspective, in terms of monitoring escalations, it's keeping a pulse on what sort of issues we're seeing, how frequently they're occurring, and what types of subject matter those tickets that are coming in from these customers are concerned about. If we see a trend where it's like a certain question is being asked more than once, uh, we'll surface that to our CSM because this might be an indicator that this customer was not properly enabled or is having trouble getting the hang of our system. And we don't want that. Of course, we want to escalate that and make sure they get what they need. Um, From a wider product operation perspective, it's also keeping an eye out for critical operations that are ongoing and may be affected by issues that come up. So like, for example, our dev team, we have monitoring alerts uh, configured that will let us know uh, remotely in a customer org, whenever a critical piece of functionality in our product suite is not working as optimized or as intended. And what we'll do actually um, to bring out an escalation, so to speak, um, before the customer is aware of it, our dev team monitors that and creates an action item for our team, the support team, to follow up and reach out to the customer proactively. So we can get in front of them and say, hey, look, are you aware that you have this issue going on? No worries, because here's how you resolve it. And we'll walk them and guide them through it to a happy resolution. So I think it's a few things that tie back together. But the greater visibility in SaaS is definitely a big boost in uh, in these interactions. Interesting. Sorry, I was going to say, just, just to add a comment to that, too. I think, you know, we do have all that visibility. We also have you know, we, we track and look at customer health. And one of the dimensions of customer health is when they have a do not upgrade in SaaS, where they start lagging behind. And Alex is like, oh boy, this customer is like a couple of releases behind. So that's also an indicator. We want to get proactive, Robbie and team working to make sure that all those do not upgrades or laggards who are like hesitant or just are too busy to, you know, kind of do that upgrade path, um, I think is another one that we, we kind of look at. And it's a flag. I mean, obviously, they get too far behind in terms of all of the, the improvements we made. We know we're going to see issues. So just one, that's another use case that. Uh, just wanted to also try. add one more thing that, you know, as software vendors, you have to look at it from a customer's point of view. Customers are dealing with multi-million vendors. And I'm just saying that. And, and so they're getting alerts from lean data. They're getting alerts from Salesforce. They're getting, you know, they're, they're, you know, the, the teams there who are supporting all these systems and business systems, you know, they have to prioritize as well. So I think sometimes how we work with our customers, how we alert them, make sure that they're not overwhelmed. You know, we have to keep that in mind that we're not the only vendor they're dealing with. And so therefore I think keeping that in mind, I always keep that in mind because 
you have to look at it from that perspective because I was getting bombarded by all these vendors. I'm going to prioritize, right? So something that is something that we have to keep in mind in terms of how we communicate with customers when we communicate, you know, we're just not bothering them every single time, uh, you know, and there, when there's a fire, there's a fire. It's not like, Oh, Oh my God, there's a fire and there's no fire at all. From their perspective, it's not a fire for us. It's a fire. Right. So you kind of have <laughs> yeah, to. That's a good point. Absolutely. Alex, um, what brought, uh, you know, the, the, what you mentioned is we call it the tree, right? So within a customer environment, they are having a problem. Oh, Mr. Customer, it looks like you're having this issue. Let me help you solve the issue even before they reach out to, to us, right? So that's the scenario you talked about. It's fascinating. It brings up a interesting story. We call that the forest. What we were talking about, looking at all the customer um, trees and yeah. looking at the scenario as a whole, we call that the for- that's the forest and this is the trees. Mm-hmm. But in the tree scenario, uh, a support leader the other day mentioned to me, we do the tree scenario so well, our customers don't even know that we are solving all these problems for them. They think we don't, you know, and but they were charging a premium support um, and, um, and they didn't know what they are getting for the premium support. Mm-hmm. So now we started selling, sending them newsletters on what all we did behind their backs. So when they were sleeping. So uh, if you could allude, you know, um, um, actually add anything to it, it would be great to hear. Yeah. So basically the question is like, what do we do beyond those proactive measures that we discussed? Uh, I think we talked about the proactive measures from a tree perspective. Is there anything from a forest perspective? Well, I think it's kind of taking a look at each individual tree as it kind of grows and sprouts. You know, um, you have to analyze what exactly the subject matter is of that. Um, Are you seeing a lot of trees centered around uh, product knowledge gaps? Like, is it around training? Or are you seeing a lot of trees around user error and misconfigurations in the product? Something that maybe the customer is not uh, fully comfortable with yet. It's taking all of those, I guess, individual trees and grouping them together to really see what the composition of your forest is. To get a better understanding of how to approach it, how to garden it, how to maintain it. You have to really understand the specific requests and the type of requests coming up so you can best formulate a strategy to address those concisely and precisely for our customers. um, It makes a customer support role itself, um, um, you know, a role where you're carrying the ball and you're going above and beyond and there is a lot of uh, EQ along with IQ skills and um, it's, uh, you know, which is one of the reasons we are actually seeing some teachers moving into um, uh, CS roles and they are extremely successful because of that. What kind of training do you um, offer for people to deal with very difficult conversations and um, um, difficult scenarios? Yeah, so It's a few things. Um, First and foremost, the training that we offer to our support agents to get comfortable with that is de-escalation tactics, right? Like Rachel said earlier, it's software. Things are going to happen. Things are going to blow up eventually, right? But you have to be ready for when that does happen. And when a customer is upset and frustrated with an issue that they gauge as severe and critical, even if that's not the actual Um, understanding from the support team in terms of like product knowledge, maybe it's not that severe in terms of like how to fix it, but it feels like a major issue to the customer. You have to be ready to one, empathize with their needs, understand their needs, but also be able to address them in a way where you're understanding their concern, but still moving them forward. So de-escalation tactics is really important to us. If there's a customer that's frustrated and venting to you, you have to be able to have the savvy to say, listen, I understand your frustration and I'm here to help. Here's what we're going to do to get you resolved, right? Um, So de-escalation tactics, first and foremost. Secondly, it's triage skills, right? So you have to make sure that your employees for troubleshooting are fully well-versed on how to troubleshoot the product and how to look into specific pieces of features. Um, At the same time, they have to also be aware of when the threshold is to escalate an issue to the dev team or the product team. 
to get further uh, assistance on it. So training towards the escalation tactics and um, triage skills and, you know, in tandem, um, critical thinking skills to determine when it's time to move it to the next level are, are three most important things. Um, one other thing that I will say is important in training is getting the motion down where a support agent can gather as much information about the issue as possible prior to jumping on a call with a customer, right? You never want to jump on a call with a customer half cocked or half prepared. That is not going to be a good customer experience. And they will see that, you know, they're going to see that you're not ready for this, right? You have to be sure that your agents know how to collect the necessary data to at least initially triage or understand the uh, issue context prior to engaging with a further conversation with a customer. So those Really, those four things are the most important things we train on. Makes a lot of sense. The, the data can help with respect to bringing out the right or, you know, um, a technology can help with bringing in the right set of data, number one. Number two is we focus a lot about the root cause category, because like you said, if I assign uh, or triage it in a wrong place, then a wrong uh, person with the wrong skill set is working on the problem. And um, until they identify it's not their area, and then you're moving on to the next person and the next person. So that level of uh, looking into where is the core root cause um, uh, category, we actually go to the sub root cause too, but um, root cause category is very critical. Um, And then, so if the technology can help with that, then the support agent can actually work in empathizing with the customer, um, uh, bringing out the critical thinking and the problem-solving ability that is required. Is um, Ravi, do you think the same thing is true with a C, with the CS organization where they are balancing the answering the question along with um, um, net revenue? I, I, first of all, I totally believe in transparent communication with customers. You have to let the customers know what the truth is, right? It's not hiding behind the trees, if I may call it that way. You have to kind of go out. If it's if bad news, tell them the bad news. If it's good news, obviously you want to tell them. But if it's, you know, transparency is very key. So going back to what Alex was saying, and it, it applies to CS and general customer communication when you're talking about, I mean, CS is more on the proactive support side, if you will. And, you know, Alex, unfortunately, sometimes is more reactive than proactive, just based on the nature of the issue, Right. But at the end of the day, customers need to know we have to be transparent with the customers. The other thing that is very critical is it's a white box approach is what I call it, which means the customer needs to know. Customers sometimes are not worried about or don't get annoyed of delayed in resolution, but they get annoyed because they don't know how you're resolving the issue. Meaning a typical answer is I'm working on it. This is, this is a typical support of people and the audience who have been in support you will know what I'm saying when I say I'm working on it and the p- customer gets very annoyed, right? Because like, what are you working on? Because I have no idea what you're doing, right? And so coming out and telling them exactly how we're going to approach the issue, what the investigation is, they want to know the root cause now. And sometimes you're not able to find the root cause, right? I'll give you an example from way back when in my previous experience, it was a Black Friday, there was a retailer called me at 5 p.m. on a Thursday, Thanksgiving. And basically, I got on a call. There were 30 people on the call. And they basically said, hey, we can't do Black Friday sales tomorrow if you can't solve this issue. It was their issue. And finally, after a couple of hours, I had to basically tell them, I said, look, here's the workaround. If you want to go operational tomorrow at 5 p.m., 5 a.m. in the morning, this is the workaround we're going to be doing. We're not going to be able to solve the root cause because the root cause is actually very, very deep and you're not going to be able to solve it. So Let's pick our battle here, right? And fortunately, they heard me and, you know, we were able to move forward. So point I'm trying to make is that level of transparency. And once I feel like once they know how we're going to solve the issue, they will partner with you because now they're part of the solution, right? They'll work with us. But if you just keep asking them one question after another, they're like, okay, where are you leading to this, right? What are you doing, right? So that's the key. So going back to answer your question, yes, it applies to CS as well. And specifically, when you're having at-risk customers, you're handling at-risk customers, or your you know, customer is not happy about a certain feature that they expected, things like that. This happens in CS world as well. 
and it happens in support as well. But the key thing is just transparency, I think. I think honest and transparent communication always works. I love it because it's a, it's what I'm seeing is the synergy between customer support and customer success, just in the two answers. So um, Alex brought up uh, uh, needing to have the problem solving skills and you're bringing up the needing to even explain the problem solving skills instead of just saying it's and being transparent about it. I love that. We are, I just got a note from the team saying we are six minutes in. There is a, a, a question that keeps bubbling up in social media. So I wanted to bring that up and start to wind down. Uh, Rachel, this is for you. How do I ensure my organization adequately recognizes bad brand advocates? Bad what? I didn't hear Brand you. advocates. Advocates. How do you re- recognize poor advocacy detractors? Yeah. Uh, brand uh, advocates, maybe it is poor detractors or maybe it is positive detractors. I don't know. Maybe we take in both. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so uh, from a from a lean data perspective, um, well, first I will, I'll start off by, I think that uh, as we get more digital, as we get smarter, be able to serve up answers digitally. And believe me, no one wants to have to get on and make a phone call or talk to a support person if they don't have to. Um, I think as we... Uh, we have a huge opportunity to actually create raving fans with our support interactions because the human, by the time they get to a human these days, it's, it's rarer and rarer. So if you do have the opportunity to work with somebody, even if that is a huge escalation, it's an opportunity to build a relationship, to be there for them and to nurture those raving fans. I think where we get detractors is where we miss when we really should be in there, when it is a huge problem for the client. Uh, and that from their perspective, right? As Robbie said, really thinking about it and really coming in and, and rallying. Um, I, I, as you, we were talking earlier, I was reminded, I worked at Cisco for many years and we had some of the you know, top companies in the world that you know their whole business relied on Cisco. Like Robbie was saying in his example, we had a black ops team in support who would fly in within hours to get to that customer site to rally to fix problems. And they were called the network ninjas and they would descend on that customer. There'd be like 25 people to fix the problem for the likes of these big, you know, fortune 50 companies. Um, but those are opportunities. Yes, we had a crisis. Um, I mean, you know, imagine the, the New York Stock Exchange ran on Cisco, you, you know, like the gravity of the situation if, it, if the network goes down. Um, but that kind of rally of support and being there just creates an advocacy and a sort of, you know, the customer um, relationship that is is uh, far beyond anything you can you can deliver elsewhere. So I say, think about your support team. It's an opportunity to create raving fans and advocates by being there with them when they need you most. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I always love three minutes. We have to stop the conversation, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we have so much more to cover in this conversation. <laughs> is going Amazing. That's a wonderful way to um, uh, do an event like this. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Ravi. Thanks, Rachel, for your insight into it. I know Asindo is hiring um, and I know Lean Data is hiring. So post your Uh, links for uh, customer support, customer success, leadership roles. And uh, I think it'll be wonderful. Um, When we talk about difficult scenarios and difficult conversations, this happened um, 25 years ago, so I can actually say it. We had the largest data center from Sun Microsystems right in Palo Alto. (laughs) And it was running everything from Maryland, Solomon, Smith Barney, a lot of those companies, yeah. So uh, a lot of that data and the data center guy walks in. I was actually in the data center for whatever reason. The data center guy uh, walks in and there is this red uh, uh, thing that says it's closed. Do not open. He opened it and he switched off. The entire data center bent down. And I still remember he sat down right there. He realized the mistake and he was sobbing and crying. We came out of that beautifully um, because we rallied behind just like how you are rallying behind uh, with COVID and everything. So we do get into some avoidable, some unavoidable scenarios with customers. 
It's a matter of how well we manage and as a matter of how well we come out yeah. of it and still keep the relationship strong. So thank you guys for your input. Thank you for your insight. Um, anything last minute before we switch off the live, but stay on this call. Anything else? Thank you guys. Thank you for having us today, Kay. Us, Kay. It was a good discussion. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can, are we stopping live now? Yeah, let me let me end it, and I will send you guys um, a link for us to connect. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Hi. Thanks. Bye.